Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Over like the last month, we've been talking about how we're in children. <laughs> Say, <laughs> God bless our children's church. <laughs> I'm like, what could you possibly need right now? <laughs> Keeping me honest. Oh, there's no doubt God gave me my son to make me a better man. <laughs> That's, you can take that to the bank. <sighs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Answering prayer. Answering prayer. The last month we've been talking about the two realms, right? And we've looked at various places that tells us that we don't, um, you know, the, the enemy would like to keep us in this physical realm, completely focused on it, nagged by it, distracted, beat down by it, honestly, and so that we are not participating in the priority realm. Is that right? Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning, and I hope you had a good breakfast because we're going to talk about food and appetite the entire time, so you're probably going to be really hungry when this serve, I planned a special lunch, knowing that I was going to talk about food the whole time. Um, we're going to talk about appetite, um, and and part of what we're going to do, I'm going to be moving through the Gospel of John, just kind of dancing across huge portions of it. And and the reason, you know, the Lord can take a single verse. Um, in fact, He loves to, and I love when He does it with me. He can take a small spot, a single verse, a single word. Did any of you just get a single word from the person, just one word from the person who prayed for you? And it's amazing how you can use that powerfully. Um, sometimes you have to look across the word of God. You have to look across a pattern. His nature is strung across the word of God. And we're going to kind of do that in the Gospel of John. It's just going to take me a minute um, to get there. Um, in fact, I have a dare for you. Um, if you never have, or even if you have before, do it again. I dare you to um, read the Gospel of John in one sitting. Because you, know, you, you can read a chapter, you can read a couple of verses, and believe me, God will bless that. That's great. But something happens when you sit down. You see something of the nature of God when you go across the whole book. And I'm going to do that a little bit, but your homework this week, your mission should you choose to accept it, is to read the whole Gospel of John in one sitting. I know somebody's scared, like if you knew the busyness of my life. In one sitting, I, there's that much free time at one time. Sometimes you got to make it happen. So that's my dare. Um, okay. I want to just talk about appetite for a minute. And honestly, I'm just going to... I'm gonna. Um, Draw out just your common sense, just your intelligence. You know, appetite is a mark of health, right? In fact, lack of appetite is one of the biggest um, symptoms of sickness, right? When someone's really sick and they're in the hospital and the doctors finally get to the point where they're like, like wow, appetite is almost zero. We can't get them to eat. That's usually when people start to go, ooh, we're very close to the end. They won't eat, right? Appetite 
is a sign of health. And I want to tell you one thing we're going to look at is that that's, that's true. As much as it's true in the physical, it's probably even more true in the spiritual, right? Um, having hunger denotes um, a healthy person. Okay, are we good so far? Okay. Um, but what I really want to tell you about is, um, you know, the Word of God says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, that's two different things, fearfully and wonderfully. Um, and as I've walked through life, and I'm sure you've done this too, I observe things about the fearful part, <laughs> about the way we're made, um, that you can kind of begin to note. I want to tell you about one of them. One of them is that we're made, well, we're made for survival, right? Um, he meant for us to, to thrive in life and survive. And one of the ways that we're fearfully made is that we can reassign hunger in order to get through things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let me, to, just in case you're not tracking quite as much as she is already, um, I just want to talk about this for a minute. Do you know, so um, for example, if you can get, um, if you can get a short-term relief for something that, that makes a pain that's in you, a need that you're feeling, even, even on the soul level, the spirit level, if you can find something that has the appearance of covering over or taking care of it, we're fearfully made in such a way that we can literally begin to reassign, we can begin to rewire so that we feed that need in this way. We have a hunger for something that so we feed the hunger here even though the legitimate hunger that's driving it is deeper do you understand what i'm talking about and we're, we're fearfully made that way um in fact i'm going to put out there um you know um appetite and hunger is is in some sense, it's a theme through this whole book right not just the gospel of john you look that the fall happened with a bite Okay, with appetite. Esau gave up his whole inheritance, what's it say, in, in a single meal. He had an, he had an appetite priority problem, right? Um, I believe, and I'm going to show you this, okay, but I want to tell you first. I believe that um, the strategy of the enemy is to reassign the appetite you were made for so that you're hungry for everything you're not made for. Does that make sense? In fact, I'm going to show you with Jesus. Um, well, let me read this first. This is Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 8. Did I give you that one? <laughs> okay. All right. Here it says, um, It shall even be... As when a hungry man dreams, and look, he eats. Okay, you understand? I, I just, I'm going to keep reading, but I want to show you, do you know that your dream, your ability to dream is fueled in appetite? Your ability to make vision and participate in it, to dream things and move toward it is, is connected to appetite. Okay, I have to show you that. It says, and look, he eats. It says, but he awakes, and his soul is still empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and look, he drinks, but he awakes, and indeed he's faint, and his, his soul still craves. So I just wanted to show you that even, 
even in the scriptures are these more or less scientific things that I'm telling you about that we can, we can try to fill appetite, to fill hunger that's in us in other ways and it still leaves us empty, but we can reassign where we actually, we actually think that this thing, this, let's call it food, it might actually be food, but this thing touches this need that we have. Are you tracking? Okay, now let's look at Jesus. I want to show you something before we dig into John. So go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Okay, chapter 3, I'm starting in verse 15. Eat water. It says, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Okay, I have to give you context. So this is the baptism of Jesus. He's going to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is kind of arguing back, right? Like, I, I can't possibly do this. And Jesus says, no, we actually have to do it this way. Okay, that's what we read. I was confused myself there. So I thought, let me. Okay, so verse 16, and here's why we're reading this. It says, when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the, even, the heavens were opened to him. Do you know how important it is that you have an open heaven above you? And that was just recorded in the word of God. The heavens were opened to him. Now we're talking about Jesus. God himself had a moment when the heavens were opened. Okay, but we're not teaching about that, so I'm going to move on. I just, you can't pass over that and, and leave it alone. But then it goes on and says, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, so what's the first thing with an open heaven at the baptism of Jesus, the first thing that the Father says to him? This is my Son. This is my Son. Now I want to show you the first thing the enemy says. Go to chapter 4 and verse 1. And here it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So that this is immediately after baptism, right? What happens? God leads us, God leads us right out. When he wants to do a new work, when there's a new anointing and the Spirit comes upon, we're led right out. Why does he do that? Now I'm rabbit trailing. Here we go. Thank you, God. Um, do you know that there is aspects of the nature of God, aspects of his presence in your life that are only available in certain circumstances. Now let me tell you what I mean. Do you know that knowing the presence of God as the one who gives you victory when victory is impossible, as a warrior that makes you a conqueror, do you know that that, that aspect of the nature of God that's, that's obviously only going to be available when you're facing a battle, when there's something to conquer, Right? Um, knowing God powerfully, having the powerful, loving presence of God as provider, we experience that when we need provision, right? So in this broken place, so what I want to tell you, in this broken place, there are aspects of the nature of God, of growing into a relationship with him, knowing him in a certain way. And in fact, what I really want to say is becoming a carrier of his presence in that way, it's only available in those circumstances. 
Does that make sense? I'm getting a lot of stares. Am I talking crazy or does that make sense? Okay. And I believe that's what's going on here. Instantly there's an anointing and he's led to where he's brought into the reality of a presence of his father that is to be with him throughout the course of his ministry. How many of you have a ministry? Okay, it's vital <laughs> um, that, you, that you enter into, that you cooperate with God in seasons that may not be your favorite ones, but he's showing you aspects of, his, of the presence that he wants available to you as you walk into the places you're going. And I believe that's why we see this is not the only place you'd see this pattern. Okay, but we see it here. It goes on and says, Now when the... T um, I should be at verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Okay, I just want you to note, we're going to look at appetite across various places. Just note that we're talking about appetite, hunger. He was hungry. And it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, we've looked at this before. I know you've looked at it. Um, what's he tempting him to do? to use his power, to use what God's given him, how he's made him, to, um, to meet needs of this realm, to meet appetites of this realm. Is that not what that is? Use your power to, to prioritize the needs that you're feeling in this realm instead of the spiritual one. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I know you've seen that before, but here's what I want you to see before we move on. The last thing, at least as it's recorded, the last thing his father told him was, you're my beloved son. The first thing the enemy says is, if you're the son, <laughs> then use your, use your power, use your ability to, to, um, to get for yourself priorities that are, for, that are for this physical realm. His father says, you're the son. That's a faith thing. He can know that, right? You're the son. And the enemy says, if you're the son, abuse your power or, or make the priority for yourself to have everything you want for this physical realm. Okay, all right, now here's what we're going to do. Um, let me just talk about the Gospel of John for a minute. You know, if you looked in a commentary for chapters 2 through 4, the scholars would tell you that those are chapters where he is, actually, what are their words? That um, he's changing the order of things, okay? I wanna put, I'm not disagreeing, and if you agree with them, that's, that's, God bless you, that's great. I just want to say... Um, I don't believe that he's changing the order. In fact, I think, I think God just is. I think there's an order, right? But here's what I do think. I think that not only in those chapters, but going all the way through chapter 9, he's, he's um, bringing revelation or light to, this, to the spiritual priority in the order of things. He's, um, he's actually what we've been talking about for about a month. What he's doing is he's reestablishing the order of things that, that is already true, 
but he's on a mission to bring the children of God into a place where they prioritize correctly. Does that make sense? I think, and as we, as we, um, as we move into John, I'm going to read what I think is one of the strangest encounters between Jesus and his disciples. Um, but before we do that, it's important to see, I think that's his goal. He's doing two things um, all the way to chapter 9, and probably if you looked harder, you'd find out it's to the very end of the gospel. And it's, he's, he's drawing out a distinction between those two realms, and he's highlighting that he purposely made you with appetite. Y'all are so quiet. Tell somebody he made me with appetite. <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> okay. Even in the physical realm, don't you dare walk out of this building thinking that I'm telling you that... Um, that it's not good for you to have physical realm appetites or that a good, good father doesn't want them to be met when they're good and they lead to life, right? In fact, I'll tell you a story. Um, Y'all know we had the VBS this week and I had the privilege of smoking a brisket for it. And um, it was good, good. I thought so too. In fact, that's what I'm about to tell. I was slicing it, um, getting it ready, putting it in the big pans, to take over and you know no good chef would ever serve something without tasting to make I mean you know that but I was coming up with these rationales and excuses because um, my appetite was getting out of control and um, that you know the briskets have a fat part and a skinny part and I was coming up with these rationales like okay I've tasted a piece from over here that that was good that was so good and the more I ate, the hungrier I got, right? And then I was going, well, this side over here on the brisket is real skinny. There's no reason to think that it cooked the same as like this big fat part over here. I better taste a piece from over here. Oh, shoot, a piece hit the floor. You can't serve that. And I hit the point where I was like, okay, Paul, you got to just put it in the pan. Quit eating the brisket, okay? He, a good father made us that way, to love brisket. And the physical, nothing... <laughs> especially smoked. <laughs> Nothing I'm saying this morning is, is to take away from the fact that God made you physical and he loves you that way and means for you to be blessed that way. I mean, think with me for a minute. He, um, even as he established worship of him and knowing him, one of the things he established was that the way they would get to know him is through a calendar of parties. <laughs> Part, on this date, you shall party over me this way, right? And this is the food you should have, and this is what you should do in that party. And there was a whole calendar of parties to fall in love with the God who made you. Okay, so don't hear. We're talking about realm priority, okay? Not throwing one away. Um, there's a fancy theology word for that. Who's the theologian in here? I can't think of it. Where, you, where the physical is evil. Huh? Asceticism. Is that, is it, okay, thank you. I knew there'd somebody in here smarter than I am. All right. Okay, now we're going to read the story. Turn with me to John 4 and verse 27. See, and while you're turning there, why does Jesus often start the encounter with people by healing them? 
I'm going to challenge it's what we're talking about. You see, when, when somebody's sick, it causes our appetites to be misaligned. It causes the hunger, the, what, what we hunger after, our appetite to be misplaced. Do you know that? If you're sick in financial ways, for example, it's very, very, it makes it, let me put it this way, it does make it harder to honor God in all the stuff that he's given you as a, as a gift and a blessing and something to use for your life as a ministry right? If you're sick in your body, it's very, very hard to, um, to, have, to have that for your appetite to drive you towards spiritual realm things so that you're reaching into the spiritual realm and bringing it into this world. Is that right? Okay, John um, 4.27, and I guess I have to say this, um, perhaps this is why I started that way. This, the context here, this is right after he was with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, where he, um, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest is a story of healing, even though it's not overt. It's, if you look at it, it's obviously a story of healing, deep inner healing, where he's calling out, he actually specifically talks about, go read the story, I'm not going to, for time's sake, but um, he, he calls out misplaced appetite. Does he not? Just in case you don't know the story, this is where he's saying, um, go tell, he tells her, go tell your husband, and, and she says, I don't have a husband, and he says, you're telling the truth, you've actually had five, he's talking about appetites there, right? Mis, misdirected appetites. She's trying to meet soul needs with certain appetites, and it has, her life is sick. She's reassigned appetites to take care of um, to, that have gotten in the way of having that natural appetite that you're made for. Isn't that what that story's about? Y'all are so very quiet today. <laughs> you're scaring me a little bit. Okay, so that's the context. And, and having met with her, we'll start in um, 4.27. This is how it goes next. It says, At this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Now you have to know in their culture that um, with, according to rabbinic law, and definitely according to the way they thought in their culture, he wasn't even supposed to be talking to that woman at the well. So we're talking about um, extremely risque ministry tactics. He, he's breaking the boundaries of how you're supposed to minister in their time. Why? He's doing the will of the Father, right? He's following the will whether it aligns with the culture of this world or not. Okay? And that's what's going on there. And isn't it interesting, though, that they don't confront him they're thinking it, it's recorded there, but they don't say, what are you doing talking to her? Okay, verse 28, it goes on, it says, the woman then left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, now I'm gonna begin showing you a pattern I've already been showing you. She left her water pot. What's that telling us? Say, what'd you say? Thirst. Thirst, but look, see, she, she brought that water pot to get water, right? That's why she's there. And she ends up 
leaving the water pot to run off and tell people about her encounter with Jesus. And I tell you, the pattern that we're seeing is that through, through all these chapters, he is reassigning the realm priority. He's, he's reestablishing healthy appetite or where priority is. It's kind of like one thing I've noticed is when I'm doing a job, okay, like remodeling something or fixing a bathroom or something, and I have to quit and come back another day. I never leave my tools. Why? I, I'm not even suggesting that we're thieves, although we, you know, in our fallen state we are, but something about tools, they just, they disappear. I mean, you can't leave tools, and I think it's just because people are like, I need a hammer. Oh, there's a hammer. It's not like they mean to steal it. Um, it's just if you leave tools, half of them will be there when you get back to the job site the next time you have to pack up every time. But I say that to show that she left her water pot. I mean, that doesn't even, she came for water and left without the water, without her pot. They had to buy that pot. <laughs> so you're seeing a realigning for this woman in, in her life about what is important to her all of a sudden. goes on verse 31 and says in the meantime his disciples urged him now, now did I skip I did 29 thank you it says come see a man who told me all things that I ever did could this be the Christ then they went out from the city and came to him so she's got a bunch of people coming now now here's the encounter that Jesus the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples he says in the meantime his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now look, that's, they're just taking care of him, right? They're, they're just going, um, I don't think he's had lunch. The guy's been out working hard. Let's get the teacher something to eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat of which you don't know. This had to be, I mean, put yourself in their shoes and kind of be there. This had to be one of those moments where they thought, this guy is a nutcase. I mean, can you imagine? People are coming. You've been working hard, and people come and go, go um, uh, come on, get something to eat. And what you have to say is, I have food of which you don't know that I have. Right? It's, it's utterly weird unless you're seeing the pattern and you're seeing what um, Jesus is trying to accomplish, this reestablishment of appetite. Now, I have to show you what comes next, okay? Verse 33. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? So, so, so far, where are they stuck? They're stuck in physical realm thinking, okay? And again, I'm not saying that's evil. I'm just saying that's, that is encompassing the fullness of the way that they're thinking, at least in this encounter, okay? And, and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I'll show you something. There's two things there. But the first thing I have to tell you is he just told you what his primary appetite is and the food that feeds that appetite. Now, now let me tell you something. Jesus is the only one that can be the example or the standard for you. He ministered by the Spirit in the same way that he calls you to minister. And he just told you what a healthy appetite is 
by his own example and the food that fills it. So look at this with me. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What's food? You know, there's, you can feed yourself on all kinds of things, right? But healthy appetite leads you to food that actually nourishes you toward abundant life. So the first one is, is that he's telling you what his food is. My appetite, what I'm driven to feed myself with is doing the will of the Father. And I have to tell you, the second one, it looks like the same thing, but it goes and says, and to finish his work. Now listen, um, raise your hand if you have a destiny in God. Okay, I want to tell you there's two things here. This speaks to, to that destiny of yours. Okay, there's two things here. Listen, there's the momentary. There's, um, there's doing the will in terms of in the moment. How much scripture do you think of, of walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit? I just, I just had you do it with each other. Okay, and that's a momentary thing. But you also know that there are, um, and I don't care which way you say it, calling, a calling, or callings in your life that are assignments that are just for you. Do you believe that? Now, you have a good, good father. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to do that. But why, do, why does he have callings, assignments that are just for you? He wants to bless you. He's a good, good father that loves you. He doesn't need you to accomplish that assignment, but he sure does want you to have the joy of accomplishing that assignment with him, right? And so this second part is and to finish his work. I want to tell you that that's true in your life. It's true that you have assignments and it is God's will in a, in a longer term. It is his will that you accomplish the assignments on your life. And it's all based on appetite. I wish I could do a better, I would need a long time. I almost want to just read the Gospel of John to you. That's why it's your assignment. You're going to find out that this pattern that I'm showing you is that it's all about the hunger, the need of man, the hunger, and the proper alignment of appetite. What drives you? (laughs) The enemy can provide a thousand things that will begin to drive you. And none of them will lead to to the nourishment of the food that leads you to abundant life. And he immediately begins to talk about the harvest. Why does he do that? Actually, let's read in verse 35. It goes on and says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Now, did he change the subject, or why does he instantly start talking about harvest? It's the will of the Father. It's his food. It's your food. (laughs) When your appetite has not been distracted, taken away into things that that are fit, you know that you're made with a craving. You are hungry. I'm probably making you hungrier, but you, you are, hopefully spiritually, God is making you hungrier. Um, but you are hungry. You are going to try to fill hunger, um, whether you know it or not, in some way. And so he immediately starts talking about harvest and says, um, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life 
that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now let me um, tell you, that this is one of the biggest things on my heart this week that I noticed in that last verse that I believe he's just impressing me to tell you. What did that say? He who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. It looks real surfacey and simple, but I, I want to tell you what, that, what Jesus' words there are trying to accomplish. He's, he is literally taking God's design off of the results, off of, see, your appetite can be for certain results. Are you following me? And he's literally saying, no, actually what, what's healthy, what God's concerned with is the appetite itself. Do you see that? I'm going to show you. If it's, if it's doing a flyover, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep at this for a minute. But he wants us to be appetite-based. Hungry for Jesus. I'm going to, if we have time, I'm going to show you. Obviously, Jesus says, I am the true food. My flesh is the true food. My blood is the true drink. I am the food that is nourishment to eternal and everlasting life, to abundant life. Everything else is death is what Jesus has to say. And what he's doing here when he says um, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together, he's taking the emphasis off of you successfully achieving a certain result. (laughs) I heard that sigh of relief. Who was that? (laughs) Of course it was you. (laughs) He's putting it on you're in the right place when your appetite is right. When you're hungry for him, when what sustains you, what you hunger for is doing the will, regardless of the result. I hunger for that and I'm nourished when I'm simply walking, when I'm simply doing the will, then you're right where God wants you. Listen, have you, ever, um, have you ever had a time in your life where you're absolutely certain God called you to something? He asked you to do this or start this thing or make this sacrifice and you find out that it was completely fruitless. I mean, you almost feel like a clown and you're like, you're like I, thought you, I thought this was your idea, God. Like it's, it's, it's Fallen apart. It's such, such a waste of time. I've, I feel like, well, I look like an idiot, don't I? Have you been there? Okay, let, let me tell you why. It's the obedience. <laughs> obedience to healthy appetite is what's pleasing to God. That's called faith. And it has nothing to do with the results. It goes on and says, for, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. You've seen that too, right? We're like, you work, we have missionaries among us. I'm sure that they can relate to this even more than me. But you've you've labored for some spiritual goal that you believe God's called you to, and you labor, and you labor, and then um, somebody who's been a Christian for five minutes comes in here (laughs) and the spirit falls and all the blessing of heaven is poured out on this person or or this town or this church and you're like, oh. (laughs) It's because that's his design. He's not not a slave driver who is looking for a particular result for you. 
You know, what he, you know what he wants? He just loves you. Do you know what he wants? He just wants you healthy and living an abundant life because he's a good, good father. Could you imagine if I, as a father, wanted something, needed something from my son? In other words, tried to fill my needs through my son. That'd be disgusting, right? How often do we think about our father God that way, though? And I'm a silly father. He's a perfect one. He merely wants you healthy and blessed because he's, a, he, because he's nuts about you and, he, and he's your father. He's not disappointed. You're not getting a certain result. But he is grieved when you have appetite for things that don't nourish and lead you to life. That breaks his heart. Talked about um, a couple weeks ago, um, what, what is the definition of a father or a definition of a father? It's the one who has inheritance for you. And it grieves him when you're not positioning yourself to have the fullness of inheritance, which begins at appetite. Do you know I'm not talking about fear? <laughs> fear is avoiding something, right? Or needing, needing to avoid or run from something, right? Healthy appetite is running to something. You know, it's never God's intention that you live in fear of anything or that you're driven to him out of fear. Uh, he'll use that. I don't, you know, I don't. He'll, he'll use all of our brokenness and, and everything to bring us to himself. That's what a good father does. But, but this morning, <laughs> I believe he wants to impress on us that it's, it's healthy appetite that makes us run into our destiny as we abide in Jesus. It's healthy appetite. It's being hungry for him and what he's hungry about that brings us into our destiny. Never fear. You know that fear will never bring you into your destiny. Anxiety will never bring you into the good things that God's bringing you into. Amen? Anybody tried it that way? Okay, now I've got to pray and make some decisions. <laughs> I might just tell you about some things instead of read them. Actually, um, I think we're going to do this. I'm going to skip to the numbers ones, I think. Um, Y'all are familiar with when they started begging God for um, um, the, the Hebrews in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They start begging God for meat, for quail. Okay, obviously, so you can follow this theme. Appetite <laughs> and having healthy appetite is, is all throughout, right? Okay, in this particular, yeah, I guess I better read it. Go to Numbers 11 and verse 19. We're going to read about the quail. Still got a couple people who use paper. Okay. 
Verse 19, it says, um, You shall eat not one, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month. So he's getting ready to provide um, what they've begged for. Their appetite has caused them to cry out to God for what they think they need, okay, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who's among you and have wept before him saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat. So he's, he's holding God accountable here, right? He's going, you've said, I'll give them meat. <laughs> that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Are you gathering this conversation? He's holding God accountable going, you said, you said you were going to provide this. And he's going, and God, I mean, God comes back to him and says, kind of like, are you telling me I can't do it? That's, that's what it says, isn't it? I mean, I just, I love, I love how the word of God makes me feel at home, at least sometimes, um, that, that we have a God who comes down. He's so intimately nuts in love with you that he'll come down where you're at, um, even though that's not exactly where he's at all of the time. He'll come down to you. Um, he's the one who became a man and died for your sins so you didn't have to, have to go to death, right? He comes down where you're at. That's going on here. And he says, um, so verse 23, And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen or not. Now I'm going to skip for time's sake. Go to verse 31. I'm going to show you the result of this. It says, Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Have you noticed that before? Do you know how, those of you who are saying, wow, do you know how big a cubit is? It's like, it's about a foot and a half and that's two of them. So we've got three feet of quail <laughs> piled up. And it says, um, and the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day. So what have they done? They've given up sleep for this. <laughs> Are you following? They're being driven by appetite. Let me tell you. They've given up sleep for this. And gathered the quail. He who gathered least, this was the least amount, um, gathered 10 omers. 10 omers is about 27 pounds of quail. <laughs> he who gathered the least. <laughs> That's a lot of quail. I've been quail hunting. <laughs> and in order to get 27 pounds of this little bird, you're talking about a lot of quail. <laughs> okay. Where am I? Verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibrath Hadava. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. Because there they buried the people 
who had yielded to craving. From Kibrath Hadava, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. Um, Hebrath, what, what is it? Um, Hebrath Hadava means graves of the longing, or graves of those that were overtaken by, by appetite. Okay, and from there they moved to Hazaroth, with, which means a fenced-in yard or an imprisoned place. It's actually located um, where Palestine is today. Okay. Now, here's why I put this out there. It's, I'm just going to reiterate. It's not to make your desires, your appetites in this world evil. He made you that way because he wanted you to party with him. Say he wants me to party with him. <laughs> okay. But when it become when appetite becomes your priority, what are they not having appetite for while all of this is going on? I heard about 10 right answers. One of them is they they're not driven by the appetite to go into the promise that he has for them. They're on their way to the promised land. And this was a generation of people. He had to let an entire generation perish in the wilderness in, in order to wait for a generation that was actually hungry and had appetite to cross the Jordan and move into the promised land. They all died because, they, because their appetites, as you read as they moved across the wilderness, their appetite was not for the promise that God was trying to bring them to. What we hunger for will determine what you, what you get in terms of what, what God is able, because he's a good father. He's not going to force blessing, but what, what you hunger for will determine God's granting of blessing into your hand, what he wants to give you. Now, I want you to notice, I was going to do with manna, but you know, I'm just going to tell you because I want to get to the Lord's table this morning. I know it's not the first Sunday. I'm employing risque ministry tactics. <laughs> what I want to tell you is, do you know that God's provision in your life for this place um, Do you know that his physical provisions for this place do not necessarily lead you into your destiny and the things he's trying to give you? You see this pattern all the time. In fact, I'm going to do this. You don't even have to put these up. I'm going to be too fast for you, Liz. Um, but in places he's talking to them, and specifically twice, if you want to go research this, it's in John 6, chapter 6. He's, he's speaking to people that he's teaching and he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. It's specifically in the conversation of talking about this provision of God's hand and they ate this manna and they died in the wilderness. They didn't go to the promise. Later in that same chapter, he, he states it again. He says he's speaking of himself as the bread of life. The appetite for him and the things that, that he's hungry for, the will of the Father, you know, he's putting you in the same dependence that he had. He says, all throughout the word of God, he says, I'm dependent on my father. I only do what I see him do. I only say what I hear him say. Why? Because his food is doing the will of his father. And then he says, if you love me, then you'll obey. Is that because he's a taskmaster? And he, no, if you love me, you'll obey because, 
because it puts you in the same dependence that he lived in. Do you see that? It, it, he's dependent on his father and he does that will. And when you do his will, he's inviting you into the inheritance. Amen? Okay, and in the same place, he's, he, um, it's going and it says, this is the bread which came down from heaven, speaking of himself, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. You see, those are provisions. You know, God does care about your provisions in this life. He cares about your body. He cares about your finance. He cares about everything that you need. And he, the word of God says that he withholds no blessing. In other words, if he's withholding something, it's not a blessing, right? Because he cares about your destiny. He cares about where, where he's taking you. Is anybody going there? You know that I'll just close with this thought and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, you know that Jesus could have made it clearly obvious. He could have done, he could have just busted out with the most splendid things and filled all of their cravings. You know, chocolate cake for everybody. Let's overthrow Rome and reestate. He could have done that, right? Well, why does he not? And this relates to your life. Why does he not just do that? He's concerned about your appetite and actually getting to your destiny. You know, if he just gave you everything that you felt like you needed, it would probably lead to death. A good father, if I gave everything to my son, I mean, you know this truth. If I gave everything to my son that he feels like he needs, it would lead him to have appetites that are contrary to a healthy life, to an abundant life in his future, right? Any good father is concerned about what appetite am I building in my child? Especially a father who's not concerned about the results and just wants you, loves you so much that he wants you to be a person with healthy appetite. Amen. Okay. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, in just a moment, um, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. I'm going to have someone help me move the table out here in just a moment. In the middle, you come up when you're ready, but... Um, I'm just going to pray for you first. I'm going to bless this meal. And um, this is what I would encourage. And I believe the Lord's asked me to, um, to encourage this. Take a appetite inventory. You know how you do that? Just ask the question, what drives me? Or I recommend, um, you probably don't know. If you're anything like me, it's likely you don't know some of the things that are driving you. I had a very convicting <laughs> couple of days as I prepared this. Um, so I just encourage you, um, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask in faith. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to come. That's the promise, that he would come and teach you all things. So I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, help me take an appetite inventory. Lord, what is driving me? that you want me to know about. And then, you know, when you're ready, when, 
when your appetite, I believe you're going to feel this. I'm going to pray this, and I believe it's going to happen. I believe he's going to let your appetite align with what the Lord's table is all about. And when you sense that the Holy Spirit's come upon you and the Holy Spirit has begun to align, make you hungry for him, hungry for the things that he's hungry for, then this is the table where everything's freely given. Now I want to warn just one thing. If you're anything like me, some of you are going to have the experience where you're going you're to realize that your, um, your appetites or appetite, the one that the Holy Spirit shows you, is not in alignment with him and you're brutally aware you can't do anything about it. I want to give you permission to stay there, okay? It doesn't make any sense to approach God in anything other than honesty, okay? If you find that to be true, this is the table of grace, this is the table of mercy. This is the table where everything's freely given. It's okay. Stay right where you're at. You can stay right in honesty. When the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you have competing appetites and you're completely powerless to do anything about it, just stay right there in appetite. Let him know what you want your appetite to be. Even though you feel like you can't do anything about it and you come on up to the table where everything's freely given. Amen? Okay. Father God, we ask a blessing on this meal. And we thank you that your broken body and your spilled blood provides this table of grace, this table of miracle. And I ask you, Father, to do miracles right now. Um, will you speak, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts. Um, reveal to us the competing appetites. We want to know. Because we want to have healthy appetite. We want to have hunger. We want to hunger for what you designed us to hunger for when you created us. In the strong name of Jesus, I bind the enemy's attempts to conceal or hide appetites or things that drive us that are hidden in the dark. And I ask, Lord, that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Um, as we take time that you would come and reveal, just bring into the light the appetites that steal blessing from us. Thank you, Jesus.